NDP MLAs banned from BC mosques after Selena Robinson's offensive comments about Palestine. States of emergency called all over Atlantic Canada after massive snowstorm slams that part of the country. Ottawa extends ban on foreign buying of Canadian housing. And Chilean officials theorize deadly forest fires could have been intentionally caused. Good morning. It's Monday, February 5th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. We start this morning in British Columbia, where representatives from more than a dozen mosques and Islamic associations have sent a letter to Premier David Eby calling for Minister of Post-Secondary Education Selena Robinson to be removed from her role. The Canadian press reports the letter said no NDP MLA or candidate is welcome in their sacred spaces until the Premier takes action against Robinson. The letter comes in response to a comment Robinson made during a panel last week hosted by B'nai B'rith, where she asserted that Israel was founded on a, quote, crappy piece of land, unquote. She also said, quote, there were, you know, several hundred thousand people, but other than that, it didn't produce an economy. It couldn't grow things. It didn't have anything on it, unquote. Robinson probably should find out about the history of olive groves there, which Israel has been systemically destroying. Mm. Robinson has since apologized, of course, in a social media post saying her comments were quote-unquote disrespectful, though not ignorant. Mm. And she clarified, saying that by crappy piece of land, she means that it has limited natural resources. E.B. said that Robinson's comments were wrong and hurtful and increased division in the province, but has not directly responded to questions regarding whether he considered firing her or asking her to resign. The letter from the mosque leadership says neither Robinson's apology nor Evie's response address the serious harm done to members of the community and argues Robinson has shown, quote, blatant bigotry, unquote. That's tarnished the reputation of the province and the NDP. The letter continues, quote, ultimately, what it comes down to is, does the D.C. NDP condone these attitudes towards any equity deserving group, let alone Palestinian, Arab and Muslim communities that are already at greater risk of harm, unquote. I don't have to point out to listeners how baseless and offensive Robin's comments are, I hope. Just look at photographs of Palestine pre-1948, and you'll see just how developed agriculturally and economically the country was. This argument has been used to justify, of course, the colonization of Canada and the United States, making it even more offensive coming from someone who's in government in British Columbia. And as we watch the destruction of hundreds and hundreds of important cultural sites, we can see plainly that this is just genocidal denial of what was there before. Robinson is also dealing with a separate backlash. City News staff wrote that the Federation of Post-Secondary Educators is calling on her to resign for trying to get Natalie Knight fired. She is an English teacher at Langara College and made comments about October 7th that Selena Robinson disagreed with. Lawyer and activist Dimitri Lascaris pointed out on Twitter saying this, In one sense, it's not surprising that BC Premier David Eby has refused to expel from his cabinet anti-Palestinian racist Selena Robinson. Eby became leader of BC NDP only after a truly principled candidate, Anjali Apadurai, was unjustly blocked from the BC NDP leadership contest. Anjali would have never tolerated racism from a member of her cabinet. Unquote. 
next to Atlantic Canada, where a massive, like a really, really, really massive winter storm has shut down a large chunk of the Atlantic time zone. In Cape Breton, as much as 150 centimeters of snow has fallen. That is a meter and a half, people. The Cape Breton Regional Municipality has declared a local state of emergency, reports CBC News. The state of emergency will last for seven days. CBC explains what the regional municipality will be able to do with this state of emergency. Quote, it gives the municipality the authority to control or prohibit travel and to authorize qualified persons to provide aid, unquote. Schools are closed, that's elementary right through to higher education, and folks are asked to not use their cars if possible. A few thousand people were without power yesterday afternoon. Now, what isn't mentioned, and it's never mentioned in these kinds of stories, is what businesses will be prevented from operating formally to allow their employees to stay home and stay safe. While emergency services like hospitals will need to operate, the entire private sector is full of jobs that could be declared unnecessary for a time of an emergency. You don't want people on the roads. You want them to stay home, not use their car. You have to legislate that businesses will stay closed and workers paid for their lost shifts. But that's always lost in this conversation, and I haven't seen anything about that here either. Turning now to national news, Ottawa is extending its ban on foreign home purchasing in Canada. That's according to an announcement made by Finance Minister Christian Freeland yesterday on Sunday. Yeah, really strange time to make an announcement like that. Christian Pass Lang, reporting for CBC, explains that the rule, which was first announced in 2022, will now be extended until the beginning of 2027. It bans foreign nationals and commercial enterprises from buying residential property in Canada, with exceptions for some international students, refugee claimants, and temporary workers. Freeland said in a statement, quote, by extending the foreign buyer ban, we will ensure houses are used as homes for Canadian families to live in and do not become a speculative financial asset class, unquote. However, as the story points out, experts have questioned whether the ban is having a significant impact on housing affordability, given the relatively small share of the overall housing market owned by non-Canadians. In 2020, for example, the share of the market owned by non-residents in some provinces measured ranged from 2 to 6%. That's it, which is stunning. 6% on the high end. And yet politicians are so fast to blame foreign ownership as one of the drivers of the housing crisis. Brendan Ogmundson, the chief economist for the BC Real Estate Association, is quoted in the story as saying this, quote, the foreign buyer ban was more a political ban than economic policy or housing policy, unquote. Pass Lang reminds readers that some provinces in Canada already had foreign home buyers' taxes in place, while Toronto recently proposed a municipal levy on non-Canadian residential purchases. According to the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, Canada needs about 3.5 million additional housing units by 2030 to restore affordability. I mean, on the assumption that just flooding the market with supply is going to do that, which it won't. We know that. But anyway, in order to do that, we can't rely on the private sector alone. They always, of course, put profits before people and are in the game for a different reason than making sure that every single person has a cheap place to live. We need the government to actually build social housing as well, like they used to, and stop introducing policies that don't really address the crisis and instead exacerbate xenophobia. But also, which is absent from the news, is that Freeland herself owns three foreign properties. She owns two investment rental properties in England and co-owns one rental property in Ukraine, which I don't know, she hopes everyone forgets about. And maybe it works if, you know, it's not getting mentioned in these stories. So there you go. 
our chief uh, hypocrite in action. On to international news. Firefighters continue to battle huge forest fires that broke out in central Chile on Friday. The wildfires have killed at least 99 people and hundreds are still missing, reports Diego Ore for Reuters. President Gabriel Boric has warned the country faces a, quote, tragedy of very great magnitude, unquote, and announced two days of national mourning starting today. Chilean authorities have introduced a 9 p.m. curfew in the hardest hit areas and sent in the military to help firefighters stem the spread of fires, while helicopters dumped water to try to douse the flames from the air. The Associated Press is reporting that Chilean officials believe the deadly forest fires could have been intentionally caused. Rodrigo Mundaca, the governor of the Valparaiso region, says this, quote, These fires began in four points that lit up simultaneously. As authorities, we have to work rigorously to find who is responsible, unquote. The AP story did point out that the president said unusually high temperatures, low humidity and high wind speeds were making it difficult to control the fires. However, neither story linked the week of record high temperatures and this massive wildfire to climate change, which... I mean, at this point, we all know that's how this works. This is from climate change. We all know that. (sighs) Anyway, those are your headlines for Monday, February 5th. I'm Nora. I hope you have a wonderful Monday. I hope you're staring down an exciting week of fun, work or school or just just plain fun. Maybe that's all you're doing, too. You are listening to this podcast at sandynora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. Production assistance this morning with help from Mary Newman. I will talk to you tomorrow.